I'm excited to, I was going to say begin, but I guess this is continue our series through the book of Ephesians. Pastor Mark Rondo did an awesome job setting up this series last Sunday. Um, man, you didn't know that, that you could get through six points in that much time, did you, Mark? Uh, I saw I saw when you got to point three, and I saw you get a little nervous for a second. Um, but bro, that was such a good word. That was such a good word. If you didn't hear it, um, Pastor Mark said some stuff last Sunday that just needed to be said. That I believe that that he wasn't just teaching, but that I actually think that there was some some declarations that the Holy Spirit inspired you to say to us last week. So if you haven't heard the setup for this series as we're going to walk through the book of Ephesians, uh, I, I really would encourage you to go back. It's on YouTube. You can listen to it on our podcast and just catch that sermon that Pastor Mark uh, delivered last Sunday. Well, today we are going to continue our, our series in Ephesians. Um, if you would turn into, into the book of Ephesians in your Bible, if you brought a paper Bible, or if not, you could open up your Bible app. If you don't have that on your phone, just go to BibleGateway.com or literally Bible.com. Find your way to Ephesians chapter 1. If it would be okay, I'd like to just handle some family business while you're finding your way to Ephesians chapter 1. Last Sunday, I asked you if you'd join me to pray for the people of Afghanistan. Um, obviously, that situation has continued to progress, um, and there are all kinds of confusing things going on in Afghanistan right now, and there's all kinds of opinions rolling around, um, which that shouldn't be shocking. It's a thing that's happening in the world. There's going to be all kinds of different opinions happening. Um, here's what we know, is that God is the God who has all of the answers, right? He has all of the answers. He knows the road that forward that would bring him honor and glory, even if we don't know it, and even if we're concerned that we're not on that road, God does know what that road would be. So we want to continue to pray for the people of Afghanistan. Um, and we also want to pray, continue to pray for the people of Haiti. Uh, there, was, there was a devastation there. Not only was there an earthquake, but there's also a threatening storm. And so that's, it's just a, a rough time in Haiti in general uh, for the last well, long, long time, but particularly for the last decade. Um, and so we want to we wanna pause and pray for them as well. Uh, I am going to lead us in prayer, but I did also just want to let you know of an opportunity. We are a Foursquare Church. That's our denomination. And there's an organization within our denomination called Foursquare Disaster Relief. And they actually currently have people on the ground in Haiti. Uh, and they are doing the work of recovery and rebuilding and ministering. And if you would like to financially support uh, the people in Haiti in the missions work that is happening through Foursquare Disaster Relief. I would just like to let you know that this is good, uh, good fruit or good ground to sow into. Uh, all of the money that is given to Foursquare Disaster Relief, 100% of your dollar will go to the people that you're giving it to. All right, so that's how, that's how Foursquare Disaster Relief has set up their funding uh, systems. So if you were to text for the number four relief, to the number 77977. Uh, you could even take a screenshot or a picture of that screen if you wanted to and do it later. Uh, but text for relief to 77977. 100% of whatever dollar amount you commit will go to the work that's being done through Foursquare Disaster Relief in Haiti. I just thought it'd be a good opportunity. Uh, I'm not going to track how much money Life Church gives. I'm just going to believe that we're going to invest and that every dollar will be anointed by the Holy Spirit to minister to people that are in need and that that need uh, will also be the catalyst for life change for people to give their hearts to Jesus, because I, I trust the work that our denomination is doing and that God's people are doing from all other kinds of Christian denominations in, in Haiti right now. Um, but would you, before we get into the word, just pause right here and pray with me. Lord, we thank you again as we come back to this point of prayer about the people in Afghanistan and the people in Haiti. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is sovereign and who reigns even when our world looks like it's falling apart. We know that we can trust you. We can trust your plan and purpose for the world and in the world, even if things look like chaos at times. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring peace in Afghanistan, that your, your life-giving grace and peace would reign in that country. Lord, we have no idea how in our minds, in, in our systems of the world to get there. In fact, I know that there is no system of the world that could get true peace there short of the name of Jesus, becoming the prevailing, reigning name over that nation. 
Lord, we ask that as your name is preached, uh, even in secret in Afghanistan right now, that lives would be saved physically and spiritually. God, we pray protection over every single person who is afraid for their life right now because of the systems that are in place or going to be put in place in Afghanistan. We ask that no life would be lost and that peace would be found in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for the people of Haiti today. They have been struck by so many uh, natural disasters and socio-political disasters and socio-economic disasters over the last so many years. Lord, we, it's almost hard to think of a time where Haiti was not in distress. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do a miracle that to our eyes looks impossible. But Lord, we believe that you could do it. Lord, as we partner our resources and send gifts of money to the people of Haiti through Foursquare Disaster Relief, would you anoint and bless that, those resources? But more than just money, Lord, more than just sending dollars, would you send the gospel? Would you send the power of the Holy Spirit? And would you send your life-changing love into the communities that have been devastated and are under threat even now? Lord, would you do a work of, of miraculous culture-changing power in the government of Haiti so that that government would be the kind of place that would honor your name? Again, in our eyes, God, these two countries seem so far away from uh, being able to realize the things we are praying for them, but we know your word promises that with you all things are possible. So we ask that you would do what is impossible in the flesh because it is possible with you. And where you would, Lord, would you use us to be a part of your work around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for taking some time with me to, uh, to pray about that. One other quick announcement I want to give you because this is a ministry thing before we get into Ephesians chapter 1 is I want to make a public invitation to all of you online or on campus. Uh, if you would like to join us for a weekly prayer meeting. Uh, we are launching a weekly public prayer meeting on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. So if that's a time that you can come and join us here on campus uh, before you head into work or before you bring your kids to school, uh, we just felt like we needed to have a, a weekly time of prayer. I mean, there's so many things that are going on in the world. We keep praying about them here in this service, and we wanted a, just a time where we can spend about an hour and just pray. So Marcus and I, uh, before we announced it, we started to, we just decided, let's grease the wheels a little bit. So we met in this room on Friday morning, we just prayed for about an hour and a half, and we heard prophetic words, we heard promises, some of which already started to plant some seeds for the ministry that's happening right now uh, in this moment. And so if you want to be a part of praying with us for this city, for this church, for the world at large, uh, and that God would have his way in and through our lives, then would you join us on Friday mornings at 6 a.m.? If you can't join us in the room, say a prayer with us from wherever you are, but we did want to let you know you are welcome to join us on campus at 6 a.m. every Friday morning. Now, if, you, if a bunch of you can't make it at 6 a.m. on Friday morning and you're like, we'd like to meet it this time. Well, let us know, and we'll try to find a way that we can have another, Not we won't just move the Friday, we'll just add another time where we can also get God's people together to pray. Because uh, this, this place and what God wants to do here in this place and through this place and around the world will only happen, not because we, are, we have good strategies, and I'm saying that as a person with a master's degree in strategic leadership. God will not do his will because we have good strategies. He will do his will because we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, now I think you're probably ready to get into the Word. So uh, today we are, like I said, continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. We are going to take the next 11 weeks and get halfway through the book of Ephesians. Uh, the original plan, to be completely honest with you, is that we were going to take the next 11 weeks and preach all six chapters of the book of Ephesians. And as I started studying that, I just felt like we would be doing a disservice to the power and the depth of this book if we tried to cram all six of these chapters into uh, into the, the next 11 weeks. After all, you'll remember it took me seven months to preach through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Seven months. This is a six-chapter book. The Sermon on the Mount is about three chapters. All right? So it's just not going to happen in 11 weeks. 
without skipping some stuff. And this book is so good. You heard Pastor Mark say last week the number of people that said just reading Ephesians changed their lives forever, right? So we're going to spend some time here in this book. So we're going to take the next 11 weeks. We're going to get through the first three chapters. We're going to take a little bit of a break for the holidays because we really felt like Jesus was just giving our permission, giving our church permission and even an instruction to really celebrate the holidays this year. We just feel like that was robbed from us last year in so many ways. So we're just going to celebrate the holidays together this year. And then in January, we'll pick up chapters 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Ephesians. Now, it's convenient. It actually happens to work out really well because this book or letter called Ephesians is actually in two parts. It actually has two uh, specific uh, sections, even though it carries one major theme. Let me just tell you real quick, chapters 1 through 3 that we'll start studying today focuses on who we are in Christ. You're probably going to hear me preach the gospel over the next 11 weeks more than I normally would as the actual theme of my message rather than working the gospel into the message. Does, Does that make sense? Like The next three chapters are just the gospel. Paul really wants us to understand who we are in Christ. So if you're not sure who you are in Christ or if you need a reminder or you feel like your faith has gotten a little stagnant because, you know, 2020 and 2021 or just because you've been a Christian for a while and life has happened to you and you need a reminder, don't miss church for the next 11 weeks. All right. I know you can do that. And then uh, when we come back to this at the beginning of next year, chapters four through six, focus on how we should live together in Christ. He talks a lot about unity. He talks a lot about the gifts that he, God has given to the church, the impact that we should have on the world. Now, our vision for 2021, if you were with us back in January, you'll remember that the Lord gave us a word, uh, a prophetic declaration for what we should be after in the year 2021. And that word we called emerge. God was calling us to pursue what it would look like to be the kind of people who could emerge from this crazy chaotic season that we call 2020 as being more like people who look more like Jesus. That's really been our heart cry for 2021. It's a lot of the reason why we spent so long just listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We wanted to know what he said to us and how we should live in the world. So as we continue or move towards wrapping up this year, if you can believe it, 2020 took about 30 years to end, and 2021 is actually almost over. Uh, So if you can believe that, we are going to uh, put our focus on what would it look like for us to be rooted in Christ so we can emerge as people who look more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. And then the next day, we want to look even more like Jesus. Amen? So Ephesians is designed really to be an an encouragement for unified, empowered Christian living. And that's really the impact I'm praying that it has on us as a church over the next Uh, Well, we'll probably just call it six months, right? We're going to be studying this for a while. So today we're going to simply look at Paul's greeting. Let Let me read it to you. You can see it up on the screen behind me or on the screen if you're at home. It says this. I'll read this to you in the CSB translation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul does three important things here that we're going to talk about today. Number one, he tells us who's writing. Number two, it tells us who's reading this book. And then the third thing that we'll talk about today that this greeting does is it sets the tone for the whole letter. Now, I really want to encourage you not to check out just because we are reading the heading of a letter. We learned about this when we studied through the book of James, that there are a surprising number of things that you can learn from the greeting at the top of a letter in scripture. I'll confess to you that uh, there was a time in my life, in fact, a, a huge chunk of my life, where I would read through my, you know, my daily Bible reading, or I'd do Bible studies, and I would just skip right over the introduction to all these letters in the Bible, because I just thought, oh, well, all that's doing is just letting me know who's writing and who the audience is. And then one day, it, 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 I'm embarrassed to admit this to you, because I, I have uh, two and a half Bible college degrees, um, I, it wasn't until we actually were studying the book of James, which was last year. Um, It wasn't until then that the Lord convicted me and said, you do realize that I put those in the Bible, right? And I said, yes, Lord, you put those in the Bible so I can know the context. And he said, no, 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 you have to understand 
every single word in this book matters, right? So we're going to pause today, and we're going to see what we can learn from a thing that we might, and I have admittedly glossed over too many times in my own study and in my own life. And so today we're going to see what we can learn from this greeting that is inspired by God and is meant for us to learn from. So we're going to slow down and we're going to, this is by the way why we're taking 11 weeks to go through half a book because I'm going to talk about two verses today. All right. Let's see what we can learn. The first question is, who's writing this book? So Paul says, Paul, have you ever just walked up to like a person, like been introduced to a person you extend your hand to shake, your, shake their hand. And what do you say? You say your name, right? Tim. And then you tell them a little bit about what you do as you're getting to know them, right? Tim, I'm a pastor. Or if I'm on an airplane, I say, Tim, I'm a consultant. Because if you tell someone on an airplane that you're a pastor, they want to move seats. It's really awkward for them for the next couple of hours. Or it's really awkward for me because then they ask me all their theological questions and I really just wanted to listen to a podcast. This is just a moment of confession. Um, but so Paul, Paul gets right to the point. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. This is what he's doing here. He's saying, this is who I am. I want you to understand who I am, this person who is writing this book. Now, let's understand a little bit about Paul. Paul actually wasn't born Paul. He was born Saul. Saul was actually a good Jewish boy. He was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. He was most likely named after King Saul, who was the first king of the people of Israel. It didn't turn out so good for King Saul. And interestingly enough, it didn't turn out so good for Saul. Saul Saul was what we would call a, a Pharisee. He was one of the religious rulers of the day. Uh, one of the people who, were, the, the Pharisees were the group of people who were, were heavily responsible for ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus. The Pharisees hated Jesus, and so they were actively involved in what led to him being crucified uh, for us, and so we can thank God for that, but they were uh, religious leaders, very zealous people. In fact, Paul was so zealous, zealous meaning a word, he was so passionate about what he believed that Saul actually made it his mission to go after and arrest Christians, people who called themselves disciples of Christ, and he, he had many of them tortured. He had many of them murdered. So Paul was firsthand responsible for the murder of many, we don't know how many, but many Christians. Just putting this in context, Paul was a Taliban member who got saved. Just in case we were thinking that nothing is possible, everything is possible. So Paul had this radical encounter. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. We won't take time for it today. Go read your Bible, Acts chapter 9. There's this awesome story. Uh, Jesus literally appears to Saul while he's on the road to Damascus to go and round up more Christians and have them arrested, tortured, and killed. And, uh, and he, it's so, such a radical encounter that Saul literally gets knocked off of his horse and blinded right? Uh, Saul then has another encounter with a disciple of Christ who lays hands on him. He res he, his sight gets returned to him, and then Saul goes into a two to three year period of time where he becomes a disciple of other teachers of, uh, of Christianity. He becomes a a disciple, a student of the Christian faith for a number of years. Uh, he was trained, and then eventually the church laid hands on him and commissioned him to become a missionary. Uh, we know that he goes on at least three missions trips in his ministry, and he is one of the most influential people in global history to open up nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so he, had, he went from a persecutor to a preacher. That's pretty incredible. In fact, at one point along his ministry, Saul began to go by a different name. This is why we refer to him as Paul. And part of the reason why he went by a different name is because Saul was his Hebrew name, and he was actually given a mission to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Gentiles is a word that we use to refer to literally everyone else who's not Jewish. 
So he was sent to preach the gospel. He was one of the first people commissioned to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Interestingly enough, the word Saul or the name Saul means asked for or prayed for. So King Saul, the people of Israel asked for a human king instead of having God uh, as their one and only king. And so God gave him what they asked for gave him Saul. And again, didn't work out too well. Turns out when you, never mind, it's a different sermon. Uh, I, I don't have time for that sermon. But it was, he was the one who was asked for. And the name Paul, interestingly enough, means small or humble. So you could say that Saul, an arrogant abuser who saw himself as God's answer to this Jesus problem, became Paul, a humble servant of Jesus, calling himself the chief of all sinners and committing the rest of his life to preach the gospel and serve Jesus Christ. Paul also calls himself an apostle, right? He says, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. He actually does this a lot. He calls himself an apostle quite a bit. You begin to get the idea that Paul's a little bit defensive about whether or not he's an apostle. When you read books like Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1, he goes, let me explain to you why I'm an apostle. This is important because the early church understood that people that called themselves apostles had to be people who had firsthand, with their own eyes, encounters with Jesus Christ, that they sat under Jesus' three-year teaching. And so Paul says, let me tell you the story about the time I had a personal encounter with Jesus. Remember when I was Saul, and I was on a horse one day, and I got knocked on my rear end? Jesus showed up. He, called, he gave me this mission. No, one, no human being gave me this mission. He says this in Galatians chapter 1. Jesus Christ himself gave me this mission. And this is why he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. In fact, uh, by the way, Paul's not the only one who calls himself that. Luke actually refers to, uh, to Paul in the book of Acts as an apostle as well. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent, or we just would say maybe sent one. So apostles are those who are sent personally by Jesus to teach about Jesus and to launch and commission movements in his name. Now, I want to just stand over here away from the pulpit for just a second and give you my personal opinion about this word apostle, because sometimes it gets misused and, and, and confused, all right? Now, I, I have a, a personal conviction that the word apostle in the, in the way that Paul is using it here in this moment as he's introducing himself is a very small list of people. That there were, uh, there were about a dozen, give or take a few depending on how you look at it, people in the history of the world that could call themselves apostles and no more. That this was a specific title for people who were the launchers of the church of Jesus Christ in the world. Apostles, people who were commissioned for the launching of the church in the world. Now, what's tricky, though, is that later on in this very book that we're going to study, Paul actually uses the word apostle again, and he says that it's a gift given to the church. Now, my personal conviction, and we'll talk about this in several weeks, actually in several months on the other side of January when we get to that, uh, we will talk about what it means that Paul would say that apostles were a gift to the church. And the language there begins to paint the idea that it's possible that apostle is a small group of people, but it's also a way of doing ministry. All right? So we'll dig back into that later, but I just want to make sure that we understand that when Paul says, I'm an apostle, he's not talking about a way of doing ministry, although he does the, his ministry in the way of an apostle. He's talking about, I'm in a very select group of people. These select group of people were the 12 disciples. One of them, uh, he left the club in a very dramatic way. Um, and, and then they replaced him in the book of Acts with another guy. You can read the book of Acts. I strongly encourage it. And then Paul said, Jesus added me to that number. All right? So, so there, you could say there are 13 people that died as apostles. There would have been 14, but Judas, he left the club. Okay? Does this, this make sense so far? So Paul is saying, I am a part of an elite group of people. Why is this important? Because Paul wants you to understand that he is coming with significant authority. I am one of 13 human beings commissioned by God for a very specific 
work. That's why he says, Paul, an he doesn't say Paul, an apostle of the church. He says, I am, my name is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, not by man's will. No person appointed me to this. God appointed me to this. So when Paul calls himself an apostle, he's saying at least two things. Number one, he has dedicated his entire life to the mission of Jesus, not to his own, even though that's what he was doing before. And number two, he has been sent on that mission with the authority of the name of Jesus, not his own name. He was very much wrapped up in his own passion, purpose, and power before he met Jesus. After he met Jesus, he's all about being humble and submitted and going wherever he's sent and saying whatever God tells him to say. And this is actually another way that Paul communicates humility. He's not speaking on his own. He's fulfilling God's agenda. Right? There's great weight and authority in Paul's words, and this authority doesn't come from anything that he has done or learned. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ himself. So if I were, if I were to learn from Paul's example, then I might ask myself something like, whose mission am I committed to? Right? Now, you want to be very, very careful. The lesson you should not try to learn from Paul is, Am I an apostle uh, appointed by God to launch the church in the world? No, there was 13 of those people, right? Again, we'll talk about the ministry of, of apostleship later in several months, but, but there were 13 of those people. You're not one of them. Please stop trying to put yourself in Paul's shoes. You're not Paul, all right? This is one of the problems of the, of, of the church. We preach as if we can be Paul. You're not going to be Paul. You can learn from Paul. What do we learn from Paul? This question. Whose mission are you committed to? Whose authority are you walking in? Are you trying to show how much you know, or are you living a humble life talking about how much God can do? There's a subtlety there. And those who know and walk with Jesus will know the difference, and they'll know what it sounds like to have authority that comes from Jesus, not their performance. So if we are submitted uh, in our own lives to Jesus' mission, then the reality is that he would also send us in his name. Not the same way he sent Paul, but that doesn't mean that his sending of us wouldn't be also incredibly powerful, right? By the way, we don't need another Paul. All the books that, like, you're never going to write a book that's going to show up in the Bible. So, so we don't, you don't need that anointing. You need your unique anointing, Right? And he would send us empowered to build in his authority to build his kingdom. So, so, so that's the, it's important that we stop there and we, we answer the question, who is writing this letter? A guy that used to be named Saul who now calls himself Paul. And the fact that he calls himself Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will, is significant and powerful. Right? That's the person who's writing this letter to us. The next question is, who in the world is reading this book? So Paul says he's this apostle by God's will of Jesus Christ, and then he says it's to, this letter is to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Let's talk about Ephesus for a little bit. Ephesus was a city that was, it's actually a pretty interesting place. Let me tell you a few things about this, about this city. It was an influential port city, like how Los Angeles is an influential port city. Right? Or New York is an influential port city. Uh, one of its nicknames, the city of Ephesus, was also referred to as the mother city of all Asia. You didn't have any influence in Asia unless you were connected to Ephesus. Uh, e Ephesus was a city with a global reach and also a global culture. Because people from all over the known world came to live and do business there. And the people from Ephesus went all over the known world to live and do business. Uh, the population in Paul's day when he was writing this letter, the population of the city of Ephesus was somewhere between 200,000 to 250,000 people. Now, that doesn't sound very large. That's about the population of the city of Lancaster. But in Paul's day, it was actually one of the largest cities in the world at the time. Uh, the, the population of Ephesus rivals the population of Rome, just so you can have an idea that this was an incredibly significant city. Ephesus was the home of the, of the Temple of Diana, or otherwise known as the, the Temple of Artemis, it, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But that also means uh, that it was a place that was highly and heavily influenced 
by the worship of false gods. It was highly and heavily influenced by magic and sorcery. In fact, you can see a couple of times where Paul has a run-in with makers of idols. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. Uh, And then this is why Paul, in this very letter, refers to some of the powers in language like principalities and dominion. And what he's doing is he he wants you to understand that there is a greater power and a greater dominion that all strongholds and powers and dominion will come underneath the dominion of God. Jesus, most specifically, uh, this, this Jesus who is the very Son of God and who is God himself. See, Paul understands that Ephesus was strategically important in the world. Uh, if you could strengthen the church there, then you can have a global impact, and that's exactly what happened with Paul's ministry. But just for understanding, for clarity, Paul is not writing this letter to the city of Ephesus, He's not asking for, you know, the mayor of Ephesus to stand up and make a public uh, proclamation of reading this letter from the missionary named Paul. He's, he's writing to a specific group of people who live in Ephesus, where there all these different kinds of gods are worshipped and all these different kinds of cultures have an impact on the society, almost very much like the world that we live in today, where we have a reach to the globe and where the globe has reached us, Right? Paul is writing to this specific group of people that he refers to as faithful saints. I'm going to break these words down for you super quickly. Saints is a word that means ones who are set apart. They are holy or sacred people. So these are people who have been set apart from the rest of the world and sanctified, purified, forgiven of their sin by Jesus. So in other words, these are Christians, okay? And then when he says faithful, he's adding that as a disclaimer onto their sainthood, that you're not just saints who've been set apart once, but you're faithful to being set apart by God. This, is, this word is, is actually defined as trustworthy or reliable, but it's rooted in a word which means to trust or to rely on. So when we talk about faith, we have to understand what are we talking about when we use this word faith. Because these are people who are of faith or faithful people, faithful saints. Uh, I, I recently, as I was studying for this message, I recently heard one teacher use this illustration. He was saying, you know, I have kids, and if I go to the airport with my children, I have an ID, I, an ID card. They do not. What they have is me, right? When he, the way he said it was, in order to get the, my kids to the, to the airplane, we have to come to terms with the fact that my kids do not have a legal identity outside of me as their covering. And so in order to get to the airplane, they need to hold on to me as their father, right? So without me, they get lost, and they have no identity, and then they just get swept up into the system, and the world, and they get lost. But if they hold tight onto my hand, then my identity suddenly covers them, and they can go anywhere I can go. On the power of my ID. On the power of who I am as a person. Faith is to realize that you are in an airport, and you have no identification, but if you hold on tight to Jesus, you can go anywhere He can go on the power of your identity in him as a son or as a daughter of the most high God. So the idea of being a faithful saint is a person who holds on to their faith in Christ as, and is committed to the sanctifying work of Jesus in my life. I didn't just make a decision once. I'm holding on because I know we stepped halfway into this airport and if I let go now, I'm really lost. Because I left where I came from, Jesus has taken me somewhere different, and just because I'm not where I was doesn't mean I don't need to keep holding on for where we're going, right? So these are people who understand this is a lifelong commitment. Paul is writing to people who have allowed Jesus to radically change their lives and who hold on to Jesus despite living in a city that is overflowing with invitations to be influenced by identities other than Jesus, That sounds like living in Lancaster or Palmdale in 2021. 
We are living in a world that is overflowing with invitations to be influenced by all sorts of other things as we scroll through the world that is around us and it invites us to become something other than sons and daughters of Jesus. So now with that in mind, look back at how Jesus addresses these people because there's one other lesson to learn here. He says, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Now, if you were to ask me just on the streets as we meet, and I say, hi, I'm Tim, I'm a consultant, and, and, and you said, where do you live? I would say, oh, I live in Lancaster, because that's how people talk, right? But it, wouldn't it sound weird if you said, hi, my name is Tim, I live at Lancaster? But, but here, there's something in here that's interesting. Paul says, to the faithful saints in Christ at Ephesus. See, he identifies these people being rooted in Christ, but something about his language roots them on mission at Ephesus. Their home is not Ephesus. Their home is in Christ. So this raises two questions. How do you identify yourself today? Where do you find yourself today? Are you found to be a faithful saint rooted in Christ or faithful to and formed by the world around you? The reality is you are all being formed by something, and so am I. The question is, by whom are you being formed? In whom do you find your identity? And where do you find yourself being sent? If Paul were to write this letter to America or to the Antelope Valley today or to the city of Lancaster, would he say to the church in Christ at Lancaster? Or would he have to be more honest and say, I'm writing this letter to the church that is steeped in the culture of Lancaster, or that is in politics, or to the church in the news, or to the church in social media. By the way, if you're asking that question of yourself personally, you can find the answer by asking yourself, how do I spend my time and what do I listen to? So let's ask, how much time do you spend listening to God's voice outside of a church service? You know the answer to where you live by how you answer that question. The average American, I just did some research this morning. These are fresh numbers. The average American watches over 21, it's actually 21.5 hours of television a week. On average, give or take, that's about 80 hours of television a month. And television, by the way, now counts as what you watch on your phone or on your iPad as your streaming services. Television is, has become mobile, which is why we watch so much of it. Uh, the average American spends over 17 hours on social media a week, just scrolling, 70 hours a month scrolling through social media. The bulk of that in 2020, actually it made a shift. It used to be the bulk of that was on Facebook, and then a bunch of people left Facebook, and now we're all spread. The great diaspora of social media as we spend 70 hours looking at posts that just agree with things that we already agree with. Just to put that in context or to compare it to something, our church service is usually less than two hours long. Let's just call it two hours. Most Americans, though, only attend church twice a month. So, that's 150 hours of watching and scrolling against four to eight hours, if you're a super Christian, eight hours at church a month. And then ask yourself, is it any wonder why so many people have anxiety and leave churches over po politics rather than leaving their politics to root themselves in the community of Christ? Oh, side note, in case you think I'm critiquing your politics, I'm totally critiquing your politics. Whichever party you're a part of is wrong. None of them, not the two main ones, or the other ones that don't get invited to the party, none of them actually fully represent the gospel. All of them are shadows of attempts by broken people to fix the world in every other means except the only way that will actually fix it.
When I say stuff like that, I just want to stand over here so you know Tim's just sharing his opinion right now. I mean, I'm right, but it is my opinion. <laughs> okay, let's come back to how Paul addresses this letter. Because uh, the question is, as we look at how Paul addresses this letter, do you want to be found in Christ at Lancaster or in the world at church where you can fit in? Or, or in the world at church every now and then when it fits your schedule, when there isn't a game, when there isn't a nap to take, or whatever. So, by the way, the answer is not, let's add more church services, right? That's, that's not the answer. The answer is more of Jesus in your daily life, because I... I cannot add more church services to, so that I can make sure that you, it's not my job to make sure that you are following Jesus on Monday, right? You add more Jesus into your Monday. Are you hearing him speak on your, in your Tuesday? Are you being set apart and formed by him on Wednesday? Are, are you taking time out of your Thursday to make sure that you know what God sounds like so that you can learn how to trust his voice on Friday? The question that we should ask when we read Ephesians is, am I a faithful saint in Christ at my home or my job, being sent on missions? Is it possible that Ephesians could be written to me? I hope so. Uh, Ephesians was written to the faithful saints in Ephesus, and for any of us who are committed to becoming faithful saints, if, if that is your desire, then this letter and this study is for you. If it's not your desire today, the good news is it's going to take us so long to get through this book that by the time we're done with it, maybe it will be your desire. <laughs> so Ephesians is designed to strengthen our understanding of who we are in Christ and how we should move with him in the world and as part of his church. So now we know who wrote Ephesians and we know who it's written to. Let's take the rest of our time. We'll try to wrap up with this today by asking Paul this question, what is the tone you are trying to set? And he tells us right there in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace is the word cherish or cheris here, which means a gift or a blessing of favor and kindness. Uh, essentially, grace is, it's not just forgiveness. Grace is the power of salvation. It's the thing that, uh, that allows you to, be, to, be, uh, to have your sins removed from you where you're not judged for your sins anymore because God has applied grace to your account. <clears throat> it is the power not only to not be judged for your sin, but to live today and tomorrow and every day of the rest of your life free from sin. See, it is actually possible for you to live completely sin-free in your life. Not because you're good, but because you have grace. It is possible, but you need grace to do it. So Paul is saying, I bless you with the kind of life that you would live if you were never again tempted to sin. That's how I want you to be blessed. That's the tone I'm setting for this book. And then he says, peace. Irene is the, is the word he uses. And this word actually covers a lot. It covers at least these three things. Salvation, which looks like peace with God, not being at odds with God or separated from God. It covers personal peace, having a tranquil or calm state of being in your soul. This is a lack of anxiety or inner conflict or turmoil. If you've experienced trauma in your life, what you actually need is peace. And then the third thing, at least these three things, salvation, personal peace, and then peace from warfare with enemies. This looks like security and safety from both physical and spiritual enemies. I, I, I don't want to stand over on the side of the pulpit. I want to stand squarely behind the pulpit when I tell you this. Demons are real. And they are very really actively at work in the world and also in the church. We have got to get away from the false teaching that says that just because you accepted Christ into your heart that demons cannot touch you. The true teaching would be that demons cannot enter and possess your life where you lose control. As soon as Jesus gets in, there's no room for a demon in there. But that doesn't mean that a demon can't come and torment or oppress you. 
right? The way I said it to a friend recently is like, uh, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, I can move into your house and jack up anything I, that I want. But if you are a Christian, I can't move into your house because Jesus lives there. But what I can do is come into your house and steal your coffee. That's the difference between possession, I have no control, and I can't get rid of you without the power of Jesus, and oppression, Jesus is with me, but so is this joker. And I, and I recognize that I, I, I don't want to minimize by calling a demon a joker. I, just am, I, I don't want you to be scared because they are nothing compared to Jesus. So the Jewish idea of peace is rooted in the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means nothing attacking and nothing lacking. When I say shalom to you, which would be one of the ways that I would greet you and say goodbye to you if I were a Hebrew, then I I would say shalom, and I, I would be saying, I bless you with nothing attacking and nothing lacking. That's, that's what I'm trying to bless you with. I hope that you would receive that. So shalom is the total absence of any kind of enemy and the complete removal of any kind of need. And Paul rooted this grace and peace in Christ rather than from himself because peace is not an emotion. It is a state of identity for those who are in Christ, right? So peace is modeled perfectly in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus is in the boat and there's a storm and the disciples are freaking out and they're like, where's Jesus? And it turns out that he's napping at the bottom of the boat and they go, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. He stands up and he talks to the storm because when you're Jesus, you talk to storms and he says, peace be still. And the storm was peaceful and still. And they go, who is this man who can come wind and wave? And he looks at them and he questions their faith. You know what he was saying? What are you holding on to in this moment? Are you holding on to the power of the storm or would you like to start holding on to the power in me? Because the power in me is peace. It looks like peace. It sounds like peace and it creates peace. Paul wrote about this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, let, this is a command, by the way, and a hope and a prayer for the church. He says, let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body. We'll talk about the unity of peace that we're called into some other time. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, let it have the first and the final say. Peace is not an emotion based on your circumstances. Jesus had and gave peace in the middle of a storm in the middle of a circumstance. He was at and he delivered peace. It's not about your circumstances. It's a state of being in Christ. And then peace is also a powerful gift for God's people. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, which is what Marcus instructed us to do this morning during worship, right? In verse 7 it says, and then if you do that, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God is not bound to your circumstances or your ability to understand how it works. Because peace from God is the assurance that you are held by God. So faith is us holding on to God because we know we are lost without him. And peace is knowing that he holds on to us because he knows we are lost without him. You can't get peace without faith. You need to bring your life to Jesus, to God. This is why Paul says, I bless you with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus. Paul writes at least 13 books of the New Testament. He he might have written Hebrews, but he definitely wrote at least 13 letters that we find in, in the New Testament. He covers a ton of topics in those 13 letters. I mean, he covers a ton of topics just in Ephesians. And then there's 12 other ones. And did you know that in every single one of those 13 letters that Paul puts his name at the front of, he also includes in his greeting the words grace and peace? You're about to hear it. (laughs) In every single one. He says grace and peace, with one exception. In First and Second Timothy, to Timothy, the kid that he mentored, he changes it a little bit. He says grace and mercy and peace. 
Why? Because Timothy was a senior pastor and he really needed to receive and know how to give mercy because y'all are crazy. (laughs) But other than that, he says grace and peace in every single letter. God, give me mercy after telling that really bad joke. I have been amazed at um, the results of a trial that I've been running in my ministry for the last 18 months. At some point along the road, I began to get this idea that it was very interesting that Jesus and Paul and everyone else in the New Testament talk a lot about peace. And so I began to try something. And what I was trying, by the way, you might have experienced this if I've prayed for you at any time in the last 18 months. Um, I, I have made it a point to pray for peace for every single person that I've prayed for for the last 18 months. And I've learned something as I've watched Jesus minister peace to people that, that Paul was onto something. That when he made it a point to say grace and peace to you in Jesus at the beginning of every letter, and Jesus made it a point to say that he came so that we could have peace, that this is the great desire of God's heart. And I've also learned just how much we need peace, because there has not been a single person that when I've prayed for peace has looked at me and been like, oh, that's really weird. Why would you pray for peace? It's like every single time I go, I just feel like God wants to give you his peace right now. Or, or I say something like, I, I bless you with peace in the name of Jesus. It, it's like every single time you can see it, sometimes in demonstrative ways and sometimes in really subtle ways where people go, Yeah, thank you, God. I really needed that. Because what we really actually want is grace and peace. Because grace is the thing that lets us know that we are saved, and peace is the thing that lets us know that God has never left us or abandoned us. And so I thought it would be good if we could end our service today just by offering grace and peace. Because this is how Paul begins his letter, and, and, and I was thinking, you know... It's funny, I was telling Sharon about this, and I, I was thinking, this is how I want to end my message. I was telling Marcus and, and Elizabeth this today, and I was thinking, this is definitely how I want to end my message today, because it's just been such a rough year, and as I'm, as I'm preaching this message, I'm just being reminded that it has nothing to do with us being in a rough year, or year and a half, or decade. It's just that we're human. And, and I am so utterly human. I, I am so utterly in need of grace and peace. And so today, this is, this is how I want to do this. Um, I want to invite you, if you find yourself in need of grace, and, and this might be some of the ways that you know that you're in need of grace. If you want to become a true disciple of Jesus today, I, I don't mean I want to raise my hand so that I don't go to hell. You won't go to hell if you follow Jesus. For the record, Jesus will let literally everyone into heaven who can stand it. He will let everyone in who would choose to be in his presence for eternity. When there's a world out there that says there's so many other things that you want to be in the presence of, and we we buy into that lie. And so if today you need to make a decision to say, you know what, I am going to be a faithful saint. But in order to do that, I need grace. I need God to forgive me of my sins. I I need God to invite me into his kingdom. Uh, Maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been out there wandering around and and inspired by all kinds of other things, and you would just say, God, I need some grace today because I want to come back home. I want to learn what it feels like to be in relationship with you again. Then today, what you would need to pray for is grace. And I think you also would need to pray for peace, but there might be some people in the room who would say, I need peace, but I don't need grace today because I'm already walking in a relationship with Jesus You probably also need grace, but I understand if today what you're feeling is something like anxiety or depression and sadness, or if you're feeling stress that causes distraction or discomfort in your life, if you've experienced abuse that is rooted in somebody else's anger, or, or if you experience anger that steals your peace or attacks someone else's peace, or if you're experiencing some other kind of spiritual attack or physical attack in your life, then what you need to pray for today is peace. And so you might come today and say, I need grace and peace. 
or I just need, really need this gift of peace today. And so whatever it is that you would ask Jesus for today, I want to invite you to receive prayer for grace and for peace in this moment. Just for clarity, I think we'll also pray a blessing of grace and peace over your life. We will do that. But there is also the realization that, that there may that part of the reason why you don't have peace might actually be some kind of spiritual demonic attack in your life. And if that's you today, then, then when our service is over, if you're saying, I think that there is a, a demonic influence in my life and, and, I, am, and I don't want to leave here also with that demonic influence, then I'm going to ask this. Marcus, who led us in our ministry time today, is going to go over to that wall, um, and, and he's going to be there to pray for you, with you. Elizabeth is going to be right over there. These, these are people who I would call elders in our church. These are leaders in our church. I trust them with your very lives. And they're going to pray a prayer of deliverance over you today. They're going to ask you if you would renounce your partnership with a demonic spirit in your life. They're going to ask you to name what that is, what, what sort of influence is. This is called deliverance ministry. The power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus will deliver you today if you bring your need to him. I believe that with every fiber of my being. In fact, I was in three conversations in recent days where I saw with my very own eyes deliverance ministry where people were delivered from demonic oppression. That's why I believe so strongly that this is a gift God would want to give to you today of all days. Okay? This is something God still does and he's doing right now. But if you, uh, so, so when, when we dismiss, Pastor Mark's going to come, he's going to give us some announcements. It's going to feel like we kind of moved into a different moment. But if that's you, don't leave this place today without praying with Marcus and with Elizabeth. But now I'm also going to ask if you would do something else. If you are here today and you would say, you know what, you're talking about grace and peace, and I just need to receive that as a blessing and a prayer, I want to ask you right where you're at if you're physically able to stand up. If you're not physically able to stand but you'd like to receive this prayer in your life, just put a hand up. And if that's you, go ahead and do that now. And if you're online, you can put a hand in the chat. And Sharon's actually watching the chat right now, so she's going to keep note of all of your names, and we're going to extend this because we believe there's no distance in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in your room where you're watching this, as well as this room where we are present together here. And so God will, can do this work globally while he does it locally as well in the name of Jesus. I want to invite you today, as you're standing to receive this prayer of grace and peace, would you put your hands up, palms up? There's nothing magical about this posture, but I find that it helps me as I'm praying to receive something from the Lord. This is a sign of surrender before the Lord. But it's also a sign of saying, God, I trust that what you take from me is what I don't need, and what you give me is what I do need. And so today with our hands open before the Lord, our hearts open like that song taught us to sing earlier today. We open our hearts up to you, God. What we really need is for you to move. We completely abandon all of our fear, and we come into your presence today. With our hearts open and our hands up before you, God, we also are honest before you. There are people in this room who need grace. There are people watching this online who need grace. If this is you today, if you are making a decision to come into relationship with Jesus because you've been living your own life and today you're realizing, you know what, I, I am doomed and I am lost without the grace and the presence of Jesus in my life. I put my faith in Jesus today. Would you simply just say these words right where you're standing? You say, Jesus, I put my faith in you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I believe with every fiber of my being, that as you say those words, that Jesus meets you with his grace, that you become a child of the Most High God, that you find your identity in him. And I would encourage you, I would challenge you, and I would beg of you that you would not allow this to just be a moment, but that this would be the rhythm of your life moving forward, that you would learn to cling to the hand of Jesus. God, would you extend grace where it is needed today? Forgive us of our sins. Wash us clean like snow with the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we are found in you because of your grace. Now, Jesus, for those of us that really just need peace, 
I would say in the name of Jesus, and I know that there will be ministry for this after our service, but in the name of Jesus, for every person in this place and watching online who is experiencing some kind of demonic stronghold or attack that is stealing their peace, I declare in the name of Jesus, freedom in the name of Jesus. You spirits, whatever you are, whatever name you carry, and whatever work you are trying to do in the lives of these children of God, I say to you with all authority, that is given to me as the head pastor of this church and as a son of the Most High God, I say to you, be gone in the name of Jesus. You have no authority. You have no rights over the lives of these people. And as they declare with their own mouths after this service, those that are feeling bound and in bondage to demonic power, we declare the the freedom of the name of Jesus, that peace would be able to come in as these demons are forced to leave. And we declare freedom in the name of Jesus. We declare freedom in the name of Jesus. And if that's you today, if you feel even right now that you didn't realize it, but you're going, oh my goodness, that prayer is for me, then you're the one. Go to the wall after service to bring that prayer all the way home as you meet with Marcus or Elizabeth today. But Lord, we just declare in the name of Jesus, peace over anxiety, over sadness and depression, over stress that causes any kind of distraction or or discomfort. We declare peace in the name of Jesus over the hearts of those that have been abused because of somebody else's anger. And for those that are angry, we declare in the name of Jesus peace so that you no longer can have your peace stolen or do the work of stealing someone else's peace. Be at peace in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declare peace in the name of Jesus. That your peace would pass our understanding. That for those of us who are afraid of what the world will look like tomorrow or what our bank account looks like today or where we will live in the future or what our relationships will look like, we just say to the storm in your life, peace be still. We put our faith in the name of Jesus and we invite you to put your faith in the name of Jesus peace be still. If this is you today and you want to receive the peace of Jesus, just like we prayed grace, would you say these words, Jesus, I receive your peace. I receive your peace. Thank you, Lord. Now, one of the things that is so important, and we talked about this earlier during our worship time, but it's so important that when God does a work in our lives, that we begin to worship him and thank him in faith immediately even if we can't see the results yet with our eyes. This is so important. So I just want to invite you now, before Mark comes to wrap us up, would you just take a moment and begin to say thank you to Jesus for his gift of grace and peace. If you need to shout or say thank you quietly or clap your hands or jump up and down where you're standing, any of that is fine. We just say thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your peace. In the name of Jesus, we receive it. Amen.